Would you please turn in your Bible to Psalm 46? As we have concluded another year, it's fun to gather with family, and oftentimes memories will come up. When we think of some of the best memories you can think of over the years with your family, probably there are some things that make it into a story about every year or every so often. You just can't help but talk about that. It's wonderful to create memories with family. Without a doubt, one of the best memories that I have of spending time with my family, specifically my kids, would come at night when they were at a young age and we would gather together to read. Of course, kids never want to go to bed, do they? And so they always love that time to read. We would use a children's Bible story regularly, nightly, that we would read from, and then we would always choose something else. Maybe when they were a little older, a chapter from one of the classics, or maybe um, some other fun children's book. It was pretty common that we got to read from one of my favorite authors, Theodore Geisel. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Theodore Geisel. How many of you know who Theodore Geisel is? Okay, about a few hands going up. It was actually, he's better known by his middle name, and that is Dr. Seuss. How many of you know who Dr. Seuss is? Of course, we all do. Dr. Seuss gave us a lot of writings that um, oftentimes would maybe make us, it made it hard to pronounce the books. Maybe it was something that made us a little bit confused at his mind. Was he demented or what with some of those things that he wrote? But there were some things that Dr. Seuss wrote that were really prolific. And I wondered just how strong of a message he understood that he would send. In the book that he wrote, Oh, the Places You'll Go, I find a line that is like that. I'd like to read that for you as we begin. I promise it'll only get better after we get done with Dr. Seuss today. <laughs> From Oh, the Places You'll Go, you'll be on your way up, you'll be seeing great sights, You'll join the high flyers who soar to great heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. And wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. It's sorry to say... But sadly, it's true. Hang-ups and bang-ups can happen to you. When you get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on and leave you in a lurch and you come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump, well, chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you are in a slump, you're not in for much fun because unslumping yourself is not easily done. How true. I would expand upon that, and I would say not only is unslumping yourself not easily done, but to truly get to a place that you need to be, unslumping yourself is impossible. Now, what we'll see in God's Word today says there is a part for you, but there's also very much a part for God. That takes us to Psalm number 46. 
In Psalm 46, the, the title or the uh, reference may not ring a bell for you, but we're going to get to a passage that I'm sure will sound familiar. And we're going to examine this psalm today, and what we will see is God's part in unslumping us combined with our part in unslumping ourselves. God does something, and we do something. Now, I need to just express to you what I've gone through with preparation for this. Typically, in in a talk, whether it be a sermon or a lesson that's given, there are certain parts to that talk. And as I come across Psalm 46, I'm so delighted because the psalmist has just laid this out naturally. He begins with an introduction of what everything's going to be about, and then he gives about four points, and beautifully, there's two of them that contrast with two others, so it's, it's very symmetrical. And then he comes to the end, and he gives you the takeaway. What can you do? And we'll spend a good amount of our time talking about the takeaway. What can we do in our lives when we find ourselves in a slump? But it's a very colorful psalm. And he begins with a summary of the entire, um, of the entire psalm. And I, I see six things that we can focus on. The first of those six is that God is there when we need Him the most. For you and I, there comes points in our lives where we have nothing left to contribute to help our problem. And God is there at those times. Verse 1 is a summary of, about, of, of what we're going to see in the next several verses. Look at Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Starts out by saying that God is our refuge. So I do not think that this is necessarily a, a psalm for every day. We don't find ourselves every day in a crisis situation or with catastrophe, but we find ourselves sometimes needing protection, needing a refuge. And it says God is our refuge, and then it says is our strength, but I think it's better for us to emphasize that God is our strength because in the day that we live in, we have become experts at surrounding ourselves with things that make us stronger or help us in time of trouble. There are things that we would substitute for God being our strength because that's just the way that we plan or the way that we're built. Or maybe it's the way you were taught by your parents. And so when you think of your strength, we can substitute things for God sometimes. When we think of a a, a physical crisis like an illness or a sickness... What might be something that we might substitute for God being the only provision there? We might substitute medicine, right? It's not bad to take medicine, but you might be counting on that. Perhaps there are some who would substitute a certain doctor or a certain specialist. Those aren't bad things. But God here is talking about when we get to the point where those things won't do something for us. How about when there's an extra expense? What do we do? to uh, serve as our strength when there's an extra expense. Well, maybe we make a trip to our savings account. This is why I have the savings here. Or maybe we pick up an extra shift, work some overtime. Maybe that's something that would come. The things that we consider our strength in this world will very, very quickly fade. 
But the psalmist is going to paint a picture of something that will not help, where these things will not help in some times in our life. Here we find in this psalm, there's no time for planning. All right, there's no time to go down and see how much money you have in savings. No time to check in with a physician. There's no time to get advice. This is a time of tragedy. And that's how he ends that first verse. A very present help in trouble. So here's the picture that we see here. An individual standing there, and the trouble is coming right at them, and God steps in front of the trouble. It's coming so fast, and there is nothing else they can do, and God steps in the way to help during that time. God wants you to know that His protection is stronger than anything else that could possibly be offered in this world. I wonder how many... I've never had the experience of being in a car accident where the airbag went off. I wonder if anybody listening today has. Have any of you been in a car where the airbag went off? Okay, a number of you. All right. Now, for those of you who have had that experience, let me ask this question. When the collision happened and the moment the airbag went off, before it reached your body, what did you get accomplished in that amount of time? So when the airbag, boom, it set off, what did you get accomplished before it actually touched your body? What would you get done? And of course, the answer is obvious. You got nothing done in that time. It takes one twenty-fifth of one second for an airbag, once it goes off, to reach the person who it's there to protect. It goes at speeds up to 200 miles per hour. You're not getting anything done in that time. God will step in when there's nothing else you can do. There's no protection that you could muster. There is nothing that you have prepared There's nobody that you can ask help from. God is there. He is a, this says, very present help in time of trouble. And then he's going to give us a couple different contrasts in the next few verses. We're going to spend most of our time on the takeaway today. He gives us a couple different contrasts. First of all, he gives examples of what causes harm. We don't have to search very hard for what causes harm, but here we find catastrophe that is listed. Catastrophe in our world is what we find in verses 2 and 3. Look at verse 2 there. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. If you've had opportunity just to see the news in the past few days, some of you have seen where a, a wildfire started out in Colorado in the Boulder area. And added to that wildfire fire were winds of over 100 miles an hour. And the last count that I got of homes that have been destroyed by fire was it was approaching 1,000 homes have been destroyed by those wildfires in the past three days. 1,000 people have had their home burnt in the past three days just from that one fire in that one place. When we start to think about how to deal with tragedy and catastrophe, we can plan all we want. We can put in place recovery efforts and the Red Cross. We can send teams to go and to help. 
But the psalmist wants us to know there is nothing that is big enough to offer protection when catastrophe comes. There is nothing that can take the place of our God. And so when some of you face tragedy in your life, you're going to need to be reminded that you have a God that is bigger than any tragedy that comes. Here's the first contrast. We see the chaos that takes place here in this world, and then God beautifully is going to transport us up into heaven. The psalmist gives us this verbiage, taking us up into the picture of heaven, the peace of heaven. Look at verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Unfortunately, there are very many who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they have not yet learned how to call Him the Prince of Peace. We have a God who is going to make all things peaceful someday, but in that picture of the peace of heaven, we see just a little bit of what we can have here in this world. You see, God does not promise to remove us from the chaos. He does not promise to squelch that and put that fire out. But He promises to be present with us. The peace of God can be present with you in your life, in the chaos, and in your heart, which will cause those who are observing what you'll go through in times of trouble to scratch their head. There is story after story of believers who have gone through sickness and tragedy, and they've had joy. It's because there is something available to you and me that comes from God. The contrast of the chaos in this world and the peace of God. And then we move back down to earth. We're going to come down from heaven from the unfathomable peace of heaven, and we're going to see that God, another contrast, we're going to see Him working with the many, first of all. Next, we see that God has power in the lives of the many. As we travel back down, this picture moves from how God deals with the enormity of problems, and I want you to look for the action. I want you to look for what God specifically does in verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, and the earth melts. From nations and kingdoms, He has power over all of these things. He's so big. And then we move to the personal. God has the strength. He has the power to take care of the many. We never get a busy signal. We never have to wait in line. There's never anything that overwhelms him. And with all of that going on, he is loving enough to care for us personally. The next thing that we see here is God has power in the life of the one. Look just at verse 7 of Psalm 46. It talks about the nations and the kingdoms, and then it says, For the Lord of hosts is with us. You can put your name in there if you want. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. And so we've learned that God knows how to handle chaos, 
We've learned that God gives the most wonderful peace that man can know. We see that He is helpful, He's powerful enough to help the multitudes, and He's loving enough to help the one. And now we get to what we can do to help unslump ourselves. We've got a God. We've got a God who knows everything. He has power over everything. He can help the many. He can help the one. But now God expects us to respond in the right way. Protection is available as we respond correctly. And so what is it that we do? What do you do when tragedy strikes? Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. These are some of the most comforting words that we find in the Scriptures. This is a line that makes its way onto coffee mugs and plaques in houses and Hallmark cards. Be still and know that I am God. There's something for you to do here, but most of us have the wrong idea of what it means to be still. Most of us just think, you know, that's some kind of a a discipline issue with the children. They have to be still. That's not the case. Maybe we have the wrong thinking in this way. Has anybody here had the opportunity to try to help a child get a splinter out of their hand or out of a finger? Have you ever helped a child get a splinter out of their finger? I've done that. What happens when the child has their hand right there and they see you with those tweezers or needle or whatever you have, and right when they get very close to that little sliver, what do they do? (laughs) They flinch. They pull away. Or even when you start to do it and there's a little bit of pain, oh, they recoil. They can't take it. They're going to have to be still, be very still, be perfectly still. Now, when we look at these words, be still, beautifully in the original language, we have a, uh, we have a description and then a beautiful word picture that is given. These words, be still, technically are saying in the original language to cease from striving. Don't forget the setup. Don't forget what's going on. Catastrophe. Even the mountains, if the mountains move into the sea, all this going on, and he says, be still. He says to cease from striving. And actually, the word picture here is great. To cease from striving, we get a word picture with this. What it technically means is to keep your hands at your side. When there's unspeakable chaos and tragedy, when the pain is enormous, the promise from your God when He's going to help you out, the first thing you have to do is keep your hands still at your side. Have you ever noticed how many things we do with our hands when trouble comes? Our hands are very, very busy when trouble comes. I wonder if you do the same things that I do when trouble comes. Let's, let's see if you can guess what, what I do, and maybe you do the same thing. What do you do with your hands when, when trouble comes and you want to protect yourself? What, what do we do with our hands? Who can do it with me there? What do, you, what do you do when you protect yourself? You do this. You protect yourself. How about when trouble comes and you want to fight back, you want to strike? What do you do with your hands? We do this, right? Nobody else? Just me? 
How about when trouble comes into our life and we've had it, we can't take any more, we kind of do one of these numbers with our hands. No more, no more. I can't take any more. What about when we want someone to keep their distance? We push away. We have so many reactions that we do with our hands when trouble comes. One of them is, is this. We run. We run from trouble. And God has a different plan. God says, put your hands down. Be still. Stop your striving. And when I hear that, I think to myself, that doesn't sound very empowering to put my hands down. In fact, it feels like the opposite. It feels like I have no control at all. And do we like that? Do we like to have zero control over what's going on? The typical person will have one of two responses when conflict comes. They will either fight or they will flight, a fight or flight mentality. God here says, put your hands at your side and be still. If you've had the experience of watching um, a boxing match or even a, an old boxing movie, it is common that you will hear a line when the boxer is in the ring and he's competing. Because oftentimes when they're going through the fight of their life, what happens is they start to not protect themselves anymore. And so you will hear the coach or others on the side shouting something out. They shout out this, keep your hands up. Don't drop your hands. You've got to protect yourself. And the one thing they shout over and over again when they are becoming vulnerable to getting knocked out is keep your hands up. And our God tells us the exact opposite. Put your hands down. Put your hands to, to your side. I will step in. There's nothing too big for me, and I am enough. But that feels kind of mindless, doesn't it? It feels foolish almost. But God does not just give us a mindless action here. He ties with it what we are to be thinking. Be still. We don't just stop there. We don't just put our hands at our side. Be still, and we know something. Know that I am God. And so we use the knowledge of verses 2 through 9 of Psalm 46. We use that knowledge of our God, that He cares for the many and He cares for the one, that He has incredible peace to offer and, he can, and there's no problem too big for Him here in this world. And we allow the information we learn in verses 2 through 9 to direct our actions instead of our emotions. How many of us have learned the lesson that our emotions are not a very good navigational tool when it comes to facing tragedy in life? It's a horrible way to respond. God never tells us what not to do without telling us what to do. And so you set aside how you feel for something that you know, something that is fixed. For many of you, it's something that you've learned as you've studied God's Word. 
And praise the Lord for so many of you, you're leaning on the lessons that you have learned as God has been faithful in the past when you went through the storm. He's never let you down. He's never dropped the ball. It's not just a mindless putting your hands down. You put your hands down in faith, and then you know that He is God. This requires for us to know some things about God. You can learn it from examples in the Scriptures. I hope, I pray that you have godly people around you that can sharpen you and you can help sharpen them that have been through these situations. Because oftentimes your emotion is going to want to take over and they're going to be able to tell you, God can handle this. Now, when we look at a comparison of man-made gods versus the God of the Bible, the Old Testament gives us this regularly. The Old Testament gives us pictures of fools, of pagans, who created gods with their hands. They formed the head, the shoulders, the eyes, the mouth. And there are fools who will call out to the God that they made with their hands. They formed that statue's figure of ears with their own hands, and then they call out, And a man-made God is unable to hear. But my God, my God hears my voice. Not only that, in that 125th of a second before the impact, if I can't get the words out, if I don't know what to pray, God the Holy Spirit prays on my behalf. Or even if you're to a place where you don't know what to say, you're just, you're just flat on your face, you're in a fetal position, you have nothing left, God will pray for you. We have a God who hears the voice of our prayers. Pagan fools, with their own hands, would form the eyes of an idol, of a false god, lowercase g, of course. And then they would stand in front of those eyes that they formed and they would cut themselves and the blood would come gushing out to show that they were really serious. But that idol, that man-made God, could not see them in what they were doing. But your God, your God sees everything. He doesn't miss one second of your life. And not only does He see what's going on in your life this moment, but He at the same time can see the future. He gives us a confidence that it's going to be okay because He sees us. And the reason that I can be still is because I have a God who is not blind, I have a God who is not deaf, and a God who takes actions when it's needed. And so for you, Perhaps when you turn to Psalm 46, when you see chaos, catastrophe, whether it be some kind of a, um, a natural disaster, whether it be a sin that someone committed against you, 
whether it be just being in a horrible, horrible place that you couldn't have stopped, maybe you need to see that God is bigger than anything we can face. Maybe, like so many of us, you need to get a glimpse of heaven, hold on to that picture of the peace that is in the future. That confidence so many people hold on to. So much of what we know about heaven isn't necessarily what's going to be there, but it's what's not going to be there. And we focus on that, and that's okay. No more tears, no more night, no more bifocals, no more bunions. God wants us to understand there's a peace available, yes, in our future, but He can give us that peace today. Maybe when the chaos is going on, you struggle wrapping your mind around the idea that God can handle all of it at the same time. <laughs> I was encouraged. Sometimes you'll get busy with multiple tasks. Some of you are multitaskers and very good at that. There's a, there's a great video on YouTube. It's an old video. It's an entertainer, and he's spinning plates. Anybody, anybody remember the spinning plate guys that would do that? I think he's got about eight different sticks. They're about uh, four feet high, and he gets a plate on each one of them, and he gets them going. And it's quite, it's quite a feat. And sometimes I look at that, and I think, oh, that's what my life feels like sometimes. What's going to drop? Which one of these plates is going to fall and crash and shatter? There are some people who have not yet learned that God can handle your problem right here. And on the other side of the world, He's taking care of another sister or brother in Christ's problem. He cannot be overwhelmed. He cannot be stumped. We cannot wear out His patience and we cannot wear out His resources. And beautifully, we have a God who cares for us personally. When chaos comes in your life, you have a God who is loving enough to leave the 99 and go after the one. He will hold you. He will tell you exactly what you need to hear. He will look into your eyes with his real eyes that see all things. And so when we go through chaos, keep our hands down with the confidence that God's going to step in. In that fraction of a second, God's going to step in. But it's not just mindless. It's knowing him. It's knowing his power. It's knowing the history of what he's done. It's knowing that he cannot lie and he cannot fail. We keep our hands down, we keep our chin up, and we keep our heart fixed on God. And when we do that, there is no trouble that we cannot face. How do we unslump ourselves? Well, God's given us a couple things to do. And we combine that with his incredible Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I praise you for your ears at this moment, for hearing my voice. I praise you for the thousands of individuals who are lifting up prayers and thoughts to you even right now, and you can take them all. I thank you that I never receive a busy signal. I thank you for your power. I praise you, Heavenly Father, that even though we live in a world that is filled with tragedy, we have someone who is peace and love that resides with us. I pray this day for individuals 
who have faced tragedy and chaos in the past year. For some that have just not known the answers, not known what to do, every bit of strength they had of their own did not help them in their situation. And I pray that if they have not already learned to know that you are God and to be still, that they would learn that now. Some of us are blessed to be reminded of this on this first Sunday of the year. We're blessed to make some notes in our Bible, write this down, even physically put our hands down and pick our chin up with an understanding that something is going to come in the upcoming weeks and months that will appear to be chaos or tragedy. None of those times are wasted. There is nothing that you cannot use. And so we look forward to heaven, but Heavenly Father, you have us here in the the opposite of the sweet by and by is the nasty now and now. We're here in the nasty now and now, and you have us here for a reason. And thank you that we're not alone. We ask God that you'd help us to walk in faith, to understand that trouble comes, but to also understand that we're not alone when it comes. While we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray today. I want to invite anybody that's hearing this message today. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who wants to go through the troubles with you. But it could be there are some who have not prayed that first prayer, asking God to forgive them and make them his child. The Bible tells us that we can at any moment pray and ask God to forgive us of our sins. That punishment was taken by Jesus Christ on the cross and you can ask for forgiveness from your sins and he promises to forgive. Even during this moment, if you've never asked him to save you, you can ask him. Just start to talk to him and count on him to lead you in the prayer. Maybe somebody else, you're looking in hindsight at some tragedy. Maybe there's a lesson in Psalm 46 that you'll need to apply. For others, maybe you can ask God to make you strong when it comes and to help you to practice these things that you can do along with Him. Take just a moment to pray.